forgot about like rationing text messages. No, my mom pulled me out of class because my mom worked at the school, the, the uh-huh. high school that I went to. And it was my freshman year. And it, it was still like, I think it was 10 cents a text. Um, but I had been on AIM Messenger so much that I had racked up like a $70 bill. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and my mom came. Like, I was in English class and her office was right next door. And she just came to my English class and like pointed at me. <laughs> they had to leave. <laughs> See, you know, I never had this problem because, again, my parents would not buy me a cell phone. And so, like, I had to pay for it by the time I finally got a cell phone. And and also by that time, like, unlimited messaging and unlimited text was a thing. So, like, when I had my track phone, I had to kind of ration it. But uh, once I got an actual cell phone plan. Nights and it was like, weekends. <laughs> hey, kids, did you know? Long distance used to be a thing. Like, if you were going to call anyone outside of your immediate area, you had to pay extra. I remember going on a school trip to Philadelphia, and my mom bought me a calling card. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. I had so many calling cards. Yes. So, we're old. This is a mini. Welcome to Afternoonified. I'm Emily. I'm Sarah. (laughs) We're old. I assume so is the story that you're going to tell. Oh, yes. It is actually older than us, which is quite impressive. So, um, today we're doing uh, a Minnesota mini Minnesota murder mystery. It's been a while since we've done one of those. Um, and, of course, all the best true crime stories are the old-timey stories, because you feel less like you're exploiting grieving families. Yeah, a little so- bit. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, so, today we're going to cover the murder of Kitty Ging. This sounds familiar, but I you- might be thinking of another Kitty. You may have heard this story before. I cannot remember if they've covered it on like My Favorite Murder or something in the past. Um, but it's a good one. Uh, I, so I assume that's why you picked it. <laughs> yeah. So sources for this one, um, there is a 2010 article from Minnesota Monthly called The Killer Who Wants Me by Jack L. High. He's kind of a local Twin Cities true crime guy. Uh, so if any of this interests you, I would very much encourage you to Google that. You can just go ahead and read it for free on the internet. It's amazing what they put on the internet these days. You can just find anything you want. Uh, So go read that if you find this interesting, because it's a very good article. Um, And I also got um, some information from Murder by Gaslight and Wikipedia. I I know exactly what that website is, but just the... It's great. (laughs) I've never used it as a source before, and it's really good. Um, It just makes me think, like, and then she was murdered. No, she wasn't. Who are you talking about? (laughs) It's not a real person. (laughs) She fell, Emily. She fell. Did she fall into the bathtub? Yes. And into the knife. Like that guy from My Unsolved Mystery? Yeah. (laughs) That seems to happen a lot. Catherine Ging, or Kitty to her friends, was a seamstress in Minneapolis uh, with a a successful dressmaking business on Nicollet Avenue. Uh, I'm going to give a lot of place names because it's all local, of course. Uh, Nicollet Avenue is a very fancy, uh, like, pedestrian-only street in downtown Minneapolis where there's shops. I mean, there was shops. It sounds like we're girls that only wear, like, those uh, tweed Prada skirts and, like, cropped white tank tops, you know? It's not I, that fancy. It's a it's very early mostly, 2000s, like, bitchy girl kind of look. It's mostly restaurants at this point. Uh, the downtown Target is on Nicollet Avenue. Oh, well. Um, that's about it. Oh, and there's like an old bookstore. It's, <laughs> there's not a lot just in downtown in general, but Nicollet Avenue, it's it's a nice street. So uh, there is, of course, very little like information available on like on Kitty beyond like the details of her murder, which figures. Um, what we do know is that uh, 
She was tall and handsome and came from New York State, uh, supposedly to shake off some guy that she didn't just really want to marry. <laughs> so usually when a woman is described as handsome, it means she's built like a fridge, which is not necessarily <laughs> a bad thing. That's also the impression I got, too, is like she was kind of imposing a little bit. Like she was kind of just not like a big lady, but just kind of like, you know, a very sturdily built, like the woman from Encanto, who I haven't watched the movie, so I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I picture her like that. Just kind of like a tough broad. I don't know. (laughs) And like, that's how they like, that's, of course, like how you describe in the old times. Like she wasn't pretty, but she was handsome. And like. They, they put a picture of her, and we'll include it in the slideshow, um, on the Murder by Gaslight website. And she's just classically pretty. <laughs> so I don't know what the people in 19, or 1894 Minneapolis were thinking, but whatever. Uh, so uh, she also had, at one point, been engaged to a department store clerk. Uh, and she lived at Ozark Flats, which is a building now known as a Bellevue. It's still standing um, at 1227 Hennepin Avenue. And I'm giving the address specifically because... If I was listening to this podcast, I would immediately go and look at where it was on Google Maps. I was going to say, is this for the afternoonified walking tour? <laughs> yes. Uh, and if you are from Minnesota, it's the same block as the downtown Lunds and Byerly's, uh, and it's right around the corner from the Dancing Ganesha. <laughs> local humor <laughs> for local laughs. <laughs> on the evening of December 3rd, 1894, Kitty, who was only 29 years old, hired a horse and buggy from a nearby stable. She met the buggy at the West Hotel at 7.08, and at 9.10, the horse returned to the stable pulling an empty buggy. Uh, just across town, Kitty's body was discovered on Excelsior Boulevard, Boulevard just off the north, north shore of Lake Biddy McCoska, which uh, formerly Lake Calhoun, but we changed the name back to the original Dakota because Calhoun was hella racist. Yeah, a little bit. You, you know as anyone from that time period really was. (laughs) At first, it was assumed that she had died accidentally, and it was only after her body had arrived at the morgue that a doctor noticed there was a bullet lodged behind her left eye. So, the suspects. Uh, From the jump, the police suspected Frederick Reed, who was the department store clerk that had once been her fiancé. And she actually, like, still wore his engagement ring, like, in a little fancy little pouch around her neck. That's cute. Um, They questioned him extensively, but in the end, he had a credible alibi, so they kind of moved on. Um, They moved on to his girlfriend, actually, (laughs) a woman named Lillian Allen, who abruptly left Minneapolis following the crime. Uh, But it turns out she also had an alibi, so that really didn't pan out. (laughs) They also considered a man named Harvey Axford, who was a traveling salesman Kitty had been involved with. Neighbors had overheard them talking the night of the murder, and a note from Axford had been found in Kitty's apartment, and it had read, I cannot marry you, and she had torn it into little pieces. Yeah, I mean, all of that sounds pretty in line for a man named Harvey Axford. But no case against him ever really materialized either, um, probably because the police very quickly moved on to another suspect, Harry T. Hayward. He sell, like, uh, patent medicines because... (laughs) He does just sound like an old-timey snake oil salesman. He sounds like he's from the Music Man. (laughs) So Harry T. Hayward was a sometimes boyfriend of Kitty's. Uh, They had met because his father owned the building that she had been living in. How serious their relationship was is kind of debatable. Like, Harry claimed that Kitty had agreed to marry him at one point. uh, But both of them were kind of openly seeing other people. And it wasn't, you know, it was much of a secret. Like, their friends knew. Yeah. They're just... I I don't get the impression that it was super serious. 
Harry came to the police's attention uh, when they had been questioning the residents of the Ozark Flats. So before the body had even been positively identified, Hayward had told them, My $2,000 is gone to hell. It's nobody but Miss Ging. She has not been hurt in any runaway accident. She has been done up for her money. So, okay. <laughs> according to Hayward, he had loaned Kitty a considerable sum of money earlier in the day, uh, in the middle of a crowded restaurant, no less, where everybody could see the large bills that he was passing her. I just pictured him handing her, like, one of those big checks that they give, like, contest winners. <laughs> uh, he continued to maintain she had been murdered for the money, and uh, over the course of the investigation, he actively cooperated with the police and, you know, volunteered everything he knew about Kitty and his relationship with her in particular. Just very helpful guy. I mean, and he had no reason to not be helpful. I mean, he had an alibi. Just like all the other suspects, he had spent most of the evening with a friend, uh, and then he had gone to the Minneapolis Grand Opera House to see a musical with one Miss Mabel Bartleson, Ooh. who is nobody, but I loved her name. <laughs> <laughs> so then the Hayward family lawyer named Levi Stewart came forward. So according to Stewart, on November 30th, which is almost a full week before the murder, Harry's older brother, Adri, had come to him claiming that Harry had asked him to kill Kitty King. Okay. So <laughs> the plan had apparently been the works for some time. Like, not only had Harry agreed to loan Kitty this money that he had been seen giving to her, but he also had persuaded her to take out a life insurance policy with himself as the beneficiary. Um, this is the second mini Minnesota murder mystery where a uh, man has asked someone who sounds very stupid to murder someone for them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's old timey Fargo. Also, why do we ever let people just take out life insurance with random yeah. people? But as beneficial, I think at this you point, can't foresee that going badly. We should just not have life insurance anymore. Like Lord. the government should cover burial costs and right? like a small stipend. But how about just like we have some sort of social safety net where debts can be paid and people can be buried with dignity? Like I have it figured out. So I had this running theory about serial crimes where like the west coast is where hitchhikers and like young ladies get <laughs> murdered mm -hmm. kind of the the you know the other coast the the east coast is where like boys and men go to get murdered <laughs> and then the middle of the country is just this weird combination but i'm starting to think it's life insurance and like flim flam murders because you have hh H. holmes you have flim this. flam murders <laughs> flim flam murders you know, con men murders. Oh, right. And Bell Gunnis was out there. See, us Midwesterners, Emily, we're very practical people. You you don't just murder someone because you're angry or because you don't like them. You got to have a good reason to murder them. Well, the other you option. Gotta, it's got to benefit you in some way. The other option is that the middle of the country is where young boys and men go to die because you guys have Gacy and Dahmer. So uh, that's also true. Yeah. Really, you just go to the West Coast to get serial murdered at this point. <laughs> we have all the good ones. Uh, anyway. <laughs> so on the surface, at least, it seemed that Hayward and Kitty's relationship was kind of more financial than it was romantic. Like Harry came from this wealthy family and he was obsessed with acquiring money. And it sounds like Kitty was kind of obsessed with acquiring money. Like she wanted to be wealthy, too. Uh, and Hayward particularly had a bad habit of gambling, which he liked to fund through, you know, stolen jewelry and insurance fraud. And on, more than one, yeah, and on more than one occasion, a loan from Kitty, uh, who 
I think she kind of latched onto him because she kind of saw him saw him as her ticket to grander things. So she's a fool, Hayward told his brother, an easy mm. mark. So the day of the murder, Harry asked Kitty to help for her help in a scheme to buy counterfeit currency. This is the real story behind the quote unquote loan he had given her. Why would you buy counterfeit <laughs> currency? I I'm assuming you're buying it for an amount that is more than what you're paying. I would hope. <laughs> like someone else had to like make it and produce it and you're just buying it off of them. I don't know. I would really hope. <laughs> uh, the plan was she was going to take the 2000 that he had given to her, uh, travel to the outskirts of town or what was then the outskirts of town uh, with a man named Klaus Blixt, <laughs> which is quite a name. Uh, and he was a janitor at the Ozark Flats where they both lived. Really? Because he sounds like a toy maker. <laughs> so the plan, as far as Kitty knew it, was she and Blix were going to travel, you know, over to the other side of town. They were going to meet up with Hayward and the counterfeiters. Uh, but instead, Blix shot her in the head with the thirty-eight caliber caliber revolver. Oh, wow. That's okay. Um, secondly, I'm going to start a band called Hayward and the Counterfeiters. Perfect. I love it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's going to be like a bluegrass situation. But <laughs> damn. Yeah, kind of cold. Hayward was arrested on December 6th, just three days after the murder, uh, and went on trial the following month. Both his brother, Adri, and Klaus Blixt testified against him. Uh, And then after just a few hours of deliberation, the jury found Hayward guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced him to hang. Uh, Klaus Blixt, Klaus Blixt, meanwhile, that name is hard to say, uh, he pled guilty and was sentenced to life in prison. So he, you know. Yeah. He did pull the trigger, so fair. Uh, the death sentence didn't seem to affect Hayward in the way you would expect. He kind of joked a lot with reporters about his imminent execution and just generally appeared, you know, kind of cold and nonchalant about the whole thing. He never expressed remorse in any way, which, I mean, I don't know why we expect people who are capable of killing other people to feel bad about it. Yeah, he seems like one of those rich guys who who thinks that it's not really going to happen to him. Yeah. Like, my my father will sort this out. Yeah. Uh, So he did maintain his innocence until the very final days before his execution, when he finally sat down with his cousin, a reporter named Edward H. Goodsell. Um, And he made this, sorry, were were you going to comment on Goodsell? No, it's just a, it's a great, great names in this episode. I know. That's why I have to list them all out because they're all so good. Uh, So he made this long rambling confession, not not to Kitty's death, at least not at first. Uh, but to several other murders. What a fucking asshole. (laughs) So the first of his victims was a 20-year-old woman that he had met in Pasadena, California. He claimed that he lured her to a remote location in the Sierra Madre and then shot her in the back of the head and stole the $7,000 she had with her in her wallet. (laughs) Um, I also saw at one point it might have been like only $700. I'm not sure exactly what the amount was. $7,000 seems a lot of money to carry around with you. In 1890s-ish. Yeah, $7,000 is like a million dollars. Yes. Another of his alleged victims was a man suffering from tuberculosis in New Jersey. Uh, He, too, was shot in his body disposed of in the Shrewsbury River, but not before Hayward robbed him of $2,000. God. The third and most brutal of the crimes that Hayward confessed to was a murder of a Chinese man in New York City. And just going to give a big... Big old red flag here for a major content warning. Oh, if God. you're in any way squeamish, like, skip ahead like 30 seconds, because this one is bad. So after an altercation over a game of cards, Harry knocked the man down and kicked him in the stomach. He then took his chair and jabbed the end of one of its wooden legs into the man's eye. 
Christ! And then while the man was still howling in pain, Harry sat down on the chair. Oh my god. His skull was kind of thin, he told Goodsell with a chuckle, and I heard the chair leg smash down through his skull. I'm glad he died. Not the Chinese man. Definitely not him. Hayward? Yeah, this dickhead. Just awful. Like, that's stomach-turningly bad. I will say it's debatable as to whether these claims are true. We really, at this point, will have no way of knowing. Uh, The Minneapolis police certainly never followed up on any of them or even kind of took them very seriously. I don't feel like they were particularly motivated to. I mean, their murder had been solved. None of the others were in their jurisdiction or even in the state. Um, (sighs) And, of course, you know, false confessions from convicted killers are not unheard of, like, read anything just, about henry lee lucas okay were, that's yeah mm, that's a different level henry lee lucas was painfully stupid yeah he was yeah completely different but you know as an example yeah. um hayward is also a known liar and it could have been that he was just kind of padding his legend a little bit but like for what it's worth and like jack l high kind of points this out in his minnesota monthly article that i referenced at the top of the episode like none, nothing about the way he details his crimes makes him look like strong or competent like Oh, he killed a woman and a tuberculosis patient. Yeah. And like when he talks about killing the woman in California, like he describes like shooting her in the back of the head and having to like turn away immediately because he couldn't look at her. But then like out of the corner of his eye, he could see like he hadn't done the job well and she was still alive and kind of moving a bit. And like so like none of it is particularly grandiose. It doesn't do anything for him. Like it doesn't. Yeah. He also didn't volunteer his confession very readily. It was only... After persistent requests and like a lot of back and forth with Goodsell that he finally agreed to tell his story. And he was especially reluctant to talk about Kitty and he saved her story for the very, very end. Um, only because at that point it was clear he was not about to receive a pardon from the governor or anything like he was really going to hang. So uh, for what it's worth and which what makes Hayward kind of an interesting character, despite just being a general piece of shit. Uh, if his confessions are true, he would be a contemporary of Jack the Ripper, and his crimes would predate H.H. Holmes. And he would, in fact, be the first identified serial killer in the United States. Congratulations to Minnesota. Minnesota, the best and first at everything. Uh, no, uh, it sounds like he was pretty bad. So <laughs> Hayward went to the gallows on December 11th, 1895. His last words were, pull her tight, I'll stand pat, which is just very 1895. Christ. Uh, he was dropped at 2.12 a.m., but the fall failed to break his neck, so he slowly strangled to death and was finally pronounced dead a full 13 minutes later. Good. While we're at it, just a little stinger for this uh, delightful episode full of fun, fun, fun topics. Um, I can't actually find any details about this, but apparently there was a whole conspiracy theory that Hayward never actually died, or if he had died, that he had been resurrected by the Masons. What, like the plot of Sherlock Holmes 2? Yes. I don't know. (laughs) That is all the information I have on it. He is, as far as anyone knows, buried at the Pioneers and Soldiers Cemetery in Minneapolis, which you can go visit. I would highly recommend it. Uh, That's where, I think it was at some point this summer, maybe over like Labor Day weekend. But I went out there. It's very cool old cemetery. And you can go see his grave. That's not the one that we went to, right? No. That's Lakewood, which is the big, fancy, nice, rich people cemetery. And this was 
the cemetery where all the poor people were buried. And oh, yeah, yeah. The African-American Civil War soldiers that uh, could not be buried in other cemeteries. So Yeah, I mean, uh, you went to Lone Fur. You saw the big area where yeah. they were like, this is where we put the mental patients and the uh, Asian railway workers that we yeah. just didn't. They've kind of got a whole corner of that too, where it's it was um they buried um all the medical um like bodies that were donated to science or donated to like the U of M medical school were buried okay. in kind of like this one corner. It's very, very interesting cemetery. Uh it very much got kind of a lone fur kind of vibe, except it's not actually an active pioneer. cemetery. It's not anymore. Like a pioneer, or, yeah. Yeah. What happens to your body after you donate it to science and they're, like, done with it? I think they, yeah, bury it. Okay. I didn't know if it was, like, bury or cremating. They may bury or cremating. I'm sure, like, you can kind of, like, negotiate that to some degree. Like, maybe it isn't, like, I'm going to donate my body to science and then you have to shoot me into space. But, like, I'm sure they'll, like, respect, you know, basic wishes. Yeah, I I don't remember that from, um, I can't remember the name of the book. It's about... What happens to your body after you donate it? Ah, fuck. Uh, it's the lady who did spook. It's about ghosts. Um, shit. <sighs> Give me a second. I got this is a, this is important. It's a really, really, really good book, and I highly recommend it. I just cannot. I mean, it sounds good, and I do want to read it. So, uh, um, okay. Mary Roach is the name of the author. Oh, oh yeah, I've heard of her, and she wrote Stiff. It's called Stiff. Ah, yes. Um, great book. Noted. Um, it, it, I desperately like i want my body to go to a body farm after i die mm, yeah that would <laughs> Just, be on my you know, list be put to good use i've i've been wanting to do an episode on body farms for some time we we may get to that this season i'm not making any promises this season's gonna be wild uh just from the, the stuff that <laughs> i have on my list um well that was a very good minnesota a mini minnesota murder mystery thank you fuck that guy yeah he's the worst <laughs> okay goodbye bye <laughs> For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is as above, so below.